Today we're in Langaban. I live on a small farm just outside Hopefield, which is about 37 kilometers from Langaban. Well, pretty close to Langaban. But you travel and you visit Langaban often. People from Langaban come to Hopefield as well. Hopefield is actually the oldest town in the West Coast. That's right next door when you consider the vast landscape of South Africa's western coastline that runs up along the ocean from Cape Town and is famous for its biodiversity, wildflowers and sea life. The whole of the west coast is a semi-arid region, so it's a very water-scarce region. Over the past 25 years, it's boomed, so there's been a huge population growth and with the majority of people really appreciating what the West Coast offers. It's mostly feinbos, which is exquisite during winter and especially during spring. And then the rest of the year, when it gets really dry, we have the sea and we have the Langaban Lagoon, which is like a jewel. But for this community, there's trouble in paradise. The mining site is right on top of the Eelandsfontein Aquifer which is the aquifer that feeds the Longabon Lagoon. This podcast is brought to you by Jojo, a proud supporter of South Africa's water activists and a proud supplier of water solutions for a better quality of life. By protecting our most precious resource, Jojo's quality products help to safeguard the well-being of people, communities and the environment, and the people working tirelessly to protect it. This is For Water For Life, the podcast series that tells extraordinary stories of ordinary people and water. They've made it their mission to preserve, purify and protect the water supply where we live, in a water-scarce and unequal country called South Africa. I'm Gokuletum Tlongo. And I'm Sigwetlane Pamudi. The water hero you've just heard from is Nicola Fulyun. She's all about protecting the natural heritage of the area she lives in. I think it's about getting back to nature. Longabon is obviously a flourishing town now, and there's virtually every service that you would need, you would find there. But there's still lots of open spaces. There's places to go and walk. There's a lot of tourism, people coming in from overseas. The restaurant trade is booming there. Not on the corona at the moment, but it's very much a, a tourist attraction. But what's nice about it is South Africans and overseas visitors. The lagoon is special. I mean, somebody that hasn't been there should go. It's really, it's truly amazing. You can do boat trips. There's people that go fishing. There's a lot of water sport activities going on. There's something of the energy of the place that you just feel a better person once you visit it or when you live there. Hopefield is also quite a quaint little town, but it's it's a very real space. So there's people from all walks of life here. And people like visiting Hopefield as well because it's, near to Langebaum, but it's completely different. And the people in the area are friendly. There's lots of um, farmers still. There's plenty of farmers. So you can say that it's a, a farming community with added extras. So Nicola doesn't, in fact, work for the local tourism authority. She's the chair of the Western Cape Environmental Protection Association, or WASIPA. And they have made it their civic duty to protect the ecosystems and livelihoods that are dependent on the Elansfontein aquifer. Mm-hmm. <sighs> 
To understand what they do, we need to understand where they live. Langebaan and Hopefield are connected by an astonishing natural heritage. They're situated within the Cape Floral Kingdom and the UNESCO declared Cape West Coast Biosphere. Between them is the West Coast National Park, Nature Reserve and Marine Protected Area. It might not rain much here, but there's underground water. So, at the heart of the reserve is a wetland that's home to incredible biodiversity. It's recognized as a site of the Ramsar Convention on Wetlands of International Importance. And at the heart of this wetland is the ancient Ilansfontein Aquifer, which feeds it. It is this aquifer that is the focus of Wasipa's community activism. But you may be asking, what is an aquifer? How it collects is when it rains, we have two different rock units, what we in geohydrology call aquifers. Aquifer is a very sort of a big word, just meaning a rock or a soil group that can contain water. So that's an aquifer. Now we have primary aquifers. Those are mostly associated with rivers and wetlands where as soon as it rains, the water immediately gets caught up within the sand or within the the unit of rock. That is the primary source or storage of rainwater. And then once the water is in the primary aquifer, it then feeds down into the fractures and cracks in the lower-lying rock, and these are called secondary aquifers. A blast from the past. That was Umgideon, a paleontologist and geologist who studied the history of the environment over thousands of years, speaking in an earlier episode of For Water for Life. So meanwhile in Langeban, Wasipa has been in the headlines for five years now because of a mining license granted late in 2014 to a mining company called Crops in order to establish an operation that's situated on top of the Elansfontein Aquifer. There were quite a number of people within the community who got concerned about it. We approached a legal practice to assist us. And at that stage, we weren't sure if the license was going to be awarded. Once the license was awarded, we decided to create Wasipa. A huge, huge part of that we got there was due to the hard work of our previous chairperson, Karika van Sale, an environmentalist, tries to think about what type of people are part of Wasipa. It's farmers, townspeople, and then from the Longobarn side, it, it was people who were more concerned about the impact on the lagoon. It's quite a variety of people that are members of Wasipa, but mostly just ordinary people. The mining company invested a reported 1.4 billion rand in creating its infrastructure, and then mining commenced soon thereafter. It's strip mining, so it's not underground. So it's vast tracts of land that is basically stripped, uh, meaning it's dug up. All of that then is transported to a processing plant um, where it undergoes various chemical treatments and stuff in general. 
there is a move in Florida to do a more environmentally friendly way of treating the sand that comes out, but it's still, there's not enough evidence that it's completely clean. The biggest problem then is once you you've gone through all those processes, it goes back on top of the aquifer. And with time, especially with rainfall, all of those water that's bound with the chemicals will then, we fear, reach the aquifer. This area is believed to be South Africa's second richest phosphate reserve. It's for phosphate and for silica mining. And our concern regarding that is there's many concerns, but one of our biggest concerns is that the chemicals that are used traditionally in phosphate mining is very harmful to the environment. The mining site is right on top of the Eelandsfontein Aquifer, which is the aquifer that feeds the Longabon Lagoon. And there are quite a substantial number of farmers that rely on water from the Eelandsfontein Aquifer to be able to farm. So indirectly, our biggest concern and why we got involved in opposing the mining license, subsequently the water use license, is about sustainable jobs. WSIPA has challenged the mine's environmental impact assessment, its environmental authorization and air emissions license. Most recently, it lodged a successful appeal with the South African Water Tribunal around the award of the mine's water use license. Krupp's Eladsfontein mine has always contended that it has followed procedures and environmental rules. It denies that it will pollute the area and argues against Wasipa's claims. When we approached them for comment, they said they have in place a groundwater monitoring system overseen by various experts and that data is supplied every six months. That data, it says, proves the mine's activities have no negative impact on either the volume or quality of aquifer water. The mine is aiding development in the area, it says, and also generating 500 long-term jobs. One of the problems with phosphate mining is it's a short-term mine. I think the license was awarded for 15 years, and yes, it will generate a certain amount of jobs, but it's limited for a limited duration. And our biggest concern is the potential loss of sustainable jobs. If you compare that to what you get for a short-term gain, we think it's not worthwhile. And this is why Nicholas speaks so much about tourism. She and Wasipa believe that if it isn't closely monitored, the mine has the potential to negatively impact on the region's biggest potential employment sector. I think tourism at this stage is the second biggest part of the West Coast economy. If we continue to grow it like it's been the past few years, there's a very good chance that it'll become the biggest economic sector. And people tend to think that plants are just there to look at and it's pretty. Yes, there is that aspect, which is part of the tourism, but there's a whole ecological degradation that happens when you start um, destroying or potentially destroying large tracts of land. And the mine site at the moment is not visible from the road, so that is not so much the biggest problem. The problem for where you can see things 
is, is that we are concerned that the chemicals might end up in the Langabon Lagoon and then obviously change the the quality of the water and could possibly lead to fishes dying and once you start having species dying there's other stuff that happens and the whole balance gets thrown out so the concern is that it might change the Longamon Lagoon and then it might not be as beautiful as it is and economically functional well because if something's not beautiful tourists don't bother to come and visit And the Langaban Lagoon is beautiful. From the air it curves inland from the sea, looking like it's painted with strokes of a giant paintbrush. Channels of dark blue water interspersed with lighter blues where banks of sand make it shallower. Kite surfers dot the sky above it and fishermen punctuate its perimeters. Beyond the enclave in the sea are penguins and dolphins that swim in the currents of the Indian Ocean, with humpback whales and superpods of southern right whales. But once, back in 2017, orcas were spotted swimming in the giant saltwater pool of the lagoon. It is a huge nursery for fish and a giant aviary for birds. Flamingos even, on their pin legs in shades of pink. In season, its sandy beaches rise to slopes of wildflowers in white, green, every shade of purple, oranges and yellows in the Fainboss. It is incredibly special. According to BirdLife South Africa, it supports more than 20,000 birds of 250 different species, which is quite remarkable. I don't know if you're aware of it, but birders are, are very fond of traveling from all over the world to come and see the bird life on the Langabon Lagoon. Um, it's also special in that there is still small-scale fishing in the Langabon Lagoon. It's a very rich heritage that's been, I think it's since the 1600s, that people have been doing small-scale fishing in the lagoon. Then, of course, the sand parks, the West Coast National Park surrounds the lagoon. So it's really a, a diamond in the West Coast. And it's actually it's remarkable to take a, even just a day trip to go through and, and to experience everything there. Which is why the local community has taken up the challenge to interrogate mining in the area, because of what they stand to lose if the aquifer becomes polluted. The biggest one is the tourism industry, and I mean that's from hotels, guest houses, restaurants, the West Coast National Park, even the, the Fossil Park, which is a beautiful, beautiful site, recently been upgraded, so it's a world-class facility that one has there. And then secondly, the farming community. And we are in a very good position in that we have established farmers and then we have over the past 10, 15 years, there's been a growth of small scale farmers. So if you start adding it up, it's a substantial amount of people, but it's not just about jobs. It's also about in both industries, people have, they've created their own business. So it's not a job that they have to go to. It's something that they've created. And by creating that, they've created uh, work opportunities for other people. 
And it just gives people a certain power for an individual when you can create a job for yourself and for others. And I think it's the future for South Africa to be able to create these small businesses where you sustain yourself and add to the economy and create jobs for people. I'm going to use a, a small example. There's a couple of bee farmers in Hopefield, and they are totally reliant on the Feinbos. So what they normally do is they have a deal with a variety of farmers that they bring some of their bees to the farm. None of the farmers get paid for it, but at the end of the year, you get your box of honey. And bee farming is actually quite labor-intensive. So it's not just one guy driving around. There's a few bee farmers here. If you get to the stage where the aquifer is, I call it poisoned, or potentially poisoned by the chemicals, you will have die-off of feinbos. So apart from people not driving around to look at feinbos, the bee farmer will not be able to farm with bees. And it's that type of spin-off. If all the bee farmers all of a sudden have to leave, there's job losses. Once there's job losses, I mean, Hopefield is not big. Laban has got numerous businesses. But in Hopefield, every little bit counts. And when people start having job losses, you have an impact on the places like the spa, the pep stores, because then you don't have people who have money to come and spend. So it's, a, it's not just the first wave of, of people losing their jobs. It's the second and the third wave once you start breaking down the economy. Once again, potentially, because we don't know, but that is basically what the SIPA wants to know, is give us evidence of what the chemicals are that you are using, that we are able to determine what the impact is going to be. So it's about the delicate balance between the environment and the people whose livelihoods depend on the environment continuing as a healthy and diverse biosphere. You know, when I heard it was phosphate that was being mined, the first thing I thought... I know exactly where you're going with this. Dr. Dylan Randall of the Future Water Institute. Mm -hmm. Because phosphate rock and sand are useful. Phosphorus is used in nutritional supplements and chemicals used in industry. And, most significantly, phosphate fertilizers used for farming. urgent thing that we have to consider is the environmental degradation that those mining operations would usually lead to, right? So rather than mining for this precious phosphate rock, we could be recovering it from urine instead with multiple other benefits. And then I think secondly, the phosphate rock, fortunately South Africa does have phosphate rock reserves, but it's the majority of phosphate rock is found in five countries or so. So, for example, the EU, the European Union, is aggressively targeting the recycling of phosphorus from their wastewaters because of this, because they realize the urgency of being 
self-reliant on their own reserves, which they are essentially producing. And if they recycle that, you have this more circular economy in terms of phosphorus rather than a linear approach. So I think that's what we should be focusing on. Yes, you heard right. This chemical engineer from Cape Town, Dylan, who we spoke to in another episode, has invented a fertilizer producing urinal. By recycling urine, he can create fertilizer and even the world's first biobrick from urine. And secondly, many of our wastewater treatment plants, and this is specifically in developing countries, we don't have the, the capacity, we don't have proper infrastructure, and we don't have the resources to actually maintain our wastewater treatment plants. So what this means is that when we try and treat the wastewater, the discharge from the wastewater treatment plant isn't adequate. And so you are essentially adding nutrients into the environment. And when you add excessive phosphorus into the environment, you get eutrophication, you get algae blooms, you, you kill all fish stock in, in dams, rivers. I mean, we've seen this in South Africa. So I think by rethinking the system and removing that upfront, you help alleviate that issue. You can listen to Dylan's episode earlier in the series for the full story. It plays out in a lab at the University of Cape Town. So, a question. Where are Langaban and Hopeville at now? What is the status of the phosphate mine? Well, the mine only operated for a few months, and then it seems they experienced a problem with their systems. It's a bit difficult at this stage. The mine is not operational and they haven't been for about three years and they have declared in public that they are looking at different processes to get the phosphate out. So we don't have the knowledge at the moment as to which chemicals are going to be used and before we don't have that we're not able to determine what the impact is going to be on the aquifer. Nicholas says they received a water use license after they had built the plant and that's the license that was taken to the tribunal by Wasipa. The problem comes in is at the moment they are artificially emptying the mining pit. That water then gets taken and pumped in further down to the aquifer. That in itself does cause environmental degradation and especially difficult for us to accept that, although we have to, because it's been happening for three years. And it's also especially difficult because an aquifer is underground, so you can't really see what's happening to it. The mine is, is monitoring, and we do have a Elantzfontein Water Monitoring Committee that meets every six months where they supply their monitoring results. If you're a layperson, you can look at it and you cannot understand it. So it's a huge financial strain to be able to employ a GI hydrologist to go through all the data and then to advise you on it. And that's one of the problems, is that everything is an area of expertise and as a community you need to pay for that expertise. And that's not always easy. But so far we've managed on a shoestring budget. We've been fortunate in getting funding from individuals, individual organisations. So we keep on ticking. 
nobody that works that is on the CPAS management committee gets paid for it. So, but we do it because we really believe that the water use license needs to be challenged. There are communities like Nicholas right across the country that are discovering mining in their areas and trying to monitor it, especially on South Africa's east and western coastlines. And for all of them, it's a fight for access to information. I asked Nicola what the impact has been on her life, choosing to become involved in Wasipa. Anybody who ever wants to take a mine to court, your biggest stress is always money. I'm smiling at the moment because <laughs> for me, it's been a journey of personal growth. I mean, there was a stage where it becomes all-consuming. Your stress levels are sky high. But then I got to a stage where I trust in the universe. I trust that there's enough support from within Wasipa and from the community, as well as from outside people who are prepared to support us. But it hasn't been easy, but it's like anything difficult that you do. The longer you do it, the easier it gets. Um, you learn. You really learn sometimes unpleasant things, but mostly about the goodness of people that are still out there. And you learn to be humble because it might look as a chairperson that you're the only person doing it, but it's not. It, it's a team of people who partake and that emotional support that you get from people within and without is basically what keeps you going. And then there's the, the positive aspect of it is, is you learn a lot. You learn a lot about ecology, aquifers, you get a, a much better idea about how the law works. And what does she dream of in a best case scenario? What I would like to see happening in the West Coast in general is I think the mine spent about 1.4 billion on infrastructure. If that amount of money could have been spent on green infrastructure, it would create unbelievable job opportunities. We have nature around us, mostly unscathed. And that is my dream, is, is that we, we have as a community, the whole Saldana Bay, that we have that and we continue with respecting that. It's a give and take. We should be kind to nature and nature will be kind to us. While we're in Cape Town, you should really check out the wonderful story of Indigenous knowledge and the seed librarian because ultimately seeds create biodiversity. And that's what Nicola's story is all about too, a biodiverse ecosystem. I mean like the seed work, you know, on the one hand, it's because the threat of diminishing diversity is so real that we're starting to see it in our faces. Like off the top of my head, only eating yellow bananas, when in fact there are blue bananas and green bananas and red bananas and all kinds of bananas, like many, many different species of bananas. And diversity is a fundamental key to life. You can listen to Zayan's story in an earlier episode of For Water for Life. And do please rate and review us when you've listened. This helps keep us on the charts and encourage more listeners. I'm Sigwetlane Pamudi. And I'm Gugule Tumshongo. Thank you for joining us. All of our podcasts are available at jojo.co.za. The series was made possible because of Jojo. For Water, for Life. Find us on social media at For Water, for Life and share your water stories using the hashtag ListenToTheWater. Because if you do, it can change your life.
from the Jojo family to yours, we hope you enjoyed today's episode of For Water for Life. Whether you're looking for top quality storage tanks, water filters, or other water solutions, Jojo has the product ideal for you. Discover our range at jojo.co.za and find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for all the latest product news and water-related content.